It's Sunday night, and we are in a study on prophecy. One of my favorite subjects, I have loved prophecy. Prophecy has to do with the entire Bible. Prophecy. The word prophet, word prophet is the word prophetes in the New Testament Greek, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-E-S. It means to speak for another. You remember when the Lord comes to Moses and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh uh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go that they may serve me. And Moses said, but, but Lord, Lord, I, I, I'm with a thick tongue and I can't talk. Moses was not Charlton Heston when Charleston Heston in the old in the old Ten Commandments when he was standing there straddle leg like Elvis with that rod in his hand saying, Let my people go. He was he didn't talk like that. So the Lord told Moses, He said, Your older brother Aaron will be your prophet. He'll speak for you. That's whenever you think I can't do anything for God Neither could Moses on his own. He said, I stutter. I have a thick tongue. I'm not very good at this. In all of the Bible, you cannot preach prophecy without preaching the entire Bible. Not really in its fullness. Whenever I start off and teach prophecy, I have to go with, I have to tell you all the basic events in the Bible up to Israel the kingdom of God. Before Israel was a nation under kings in First Samuel, First Samuel, the starting in the eighth chapter, actually started in chapter nine when Saul became the first man king, and the first king was God because he said he was. The God of the Old Testament was the king of the Jews. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. When he said that to the Pharisees in the 8th chapter of John, they went through the roof. said, you're calling yourself the I am God, Jehovah. Jehovah means, when you look it up anywhere, and I don't care whether you say Yahweh. I, I believe that's just an effort to sound real religious. Yahweh, Y-E-H-W-A-H-W-E-H. This is called a tetragram. Y-E-H-W-A-H. That's Jehovah. A Y. Y is a Yod in the, in the Hebrew. A Yod. And when you translate it over to English, you translate a Y to J. That's the way it is, whether you like it or not. And there are no vowels in the Hebrew language. So let's cross those out. So you've got J-H-V-H, J-H-W-H. V and W are the same letter in the Hebrew alphabet except for a vowel point. So they're basically the same word. Jehovah means self-existent. 
Now, existent means to exist or to be. Now, I've given you the being verbs. I learned them in elementary school. I've never forgotten. Be, is, am. Am is simply a form of be. All the being verbs are a form of be. Be, is, am, are, was. Now, some of them have past tense. Are would be present tense. Be, is, am, are, was, were, being, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. That's all the being verbs in the English language. The point is, I'm pointing out that am is a form of the verb to be. When Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and the Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am when he, every time he said, I am, they just went livid on him. They wanted to kill him. They said, you, what amazes me, in John 8, that last two verses, when he said, before Abraham was, I am, Kenneth Copeland will say, Jesus never called himself God. He called himself God right there. And the fact that we know he called himself God is because the Pharisees took up stones to stone him. So you made yourself equal with God will kill you. So, be is a form, am is a form of to be, to be is to exist, that's Jehovah. If you can accept Christ and make yourself born, and you can make yourself to be or to become a son of God without God preordaining it in eternity, then you're God. We'll just start calling you Jehovah, okay? Now, I don't know what got me there, but I got there. Now, Israel, everything in prophecy has to do with Israel, what they did while they were a nation under two things, under judges and kings. Under judges and kings, you go where the first, you got all of these judges over here in the book of Judges. And they were, and the first judge when they came into, into the land after forty years in the wilderness, and after four hundred years in Egypt, and before four hundred years in Egypt, they were. The, uh, before the four hundred years in Egypt, you had the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This is the history of Israel. Joseph, Jacob had twelve sons. Joseph was the was the eleventh son, and he had twelve sons. And jo, J- Jacob became Israel. His name was changed to Israel in Genesis the thirty second chapter when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. The angel said, "You are called Jacob, or heel catcher, one who trips up. But now you're going to be called Jacob or Jacob, one who prevails with God. That's what Israel is. That's what Israel means to prevail with God." And before Abraham was the flood. And before that was Noah and his lineage all the way back to Noah, all the way back to Adam. This is one lineage. This is the Old Testament lineage. Prophecy is about looking forward to the kingdom of God 
and everything after that looking back at the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God was Israel. Now where's the kingdom of God? Jesus said in Luke 16, 20, 21, now the kingdom of God is in you. Not 21, 17, 20, and 21. He said, now the kingdom of God is in you. So Israel is in us because we're circumcised of the heart. And that's very important. We don't want to go into that right now. Talking about what we're talking about, the whole idea of studying prophecy is trying to understand when the end of time will come. There's going to be a time that's already measured out. It's not some haphazard thing. Israel was scattered all over the earth. First of all, they were split into two kingdoms. You've seen it in this you see it in this chart I've got up here. Israel was split into northern Israel, southern Israel. Southern Israel was called Judah, named after the tribe of Judah. Judah is a tribe and a nation. And in Judah you had the tribe of Benjamin, the twelfth son of Jacob. And Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. And the ten northern tribes, they're led by Ephraim, the second-born son of Joseph. The, the inheritance, here's the thing. The inheritance was given to Ephraim. Let me put it the way it really is. The inheritance was given to Joseph through his second-born son, Ephraim. So northern Israel is ruled by whoever can take over the kingdom, any number of kings in there. Southern Judah is ruled by sons of David. When Saul was chosen to be the king, he was of the wrong tribe. But who chose him to be the king? God. God chose Saul and he was of the tribe of Benjamin. But the Bible says in the 49th chapter of Genesis, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Now there's a little bit of uh, uh, confusion as to what a lawgiver was. Some say it was a scribe sitting down in front of him. Some say it was a scepter that he held between his feet when he would command things with. I don't care which it is. The point is Judah will be the ruler and the Bible says that and unto him will the gathering of the people be unto Judah. So when God appoints Saul... He has to have in mind of rejecting Saul. If you choose the wrong man to be the king, you've got to have it in your plan to reject him. So that's why God gives Saul an evil spirit there in the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th chapter of 1 Samuel so that he can say, Ah, you've made me angry. Now I'm rejecting you. You're not going to be king. The whole thing was planned by God. God didn't want him to be king. But the reason he gave him Saul was because they rejected him from being their king. He said, I'll give you a bad king. So he gives him Saul. We're talking about that on Sunday morning. And he sends Samuel down to southern Judah to find a king. One who was born in Bethlehem. David was born in Bethlehem. Just like Jesus. And, And he... And David becomes king, and you know the story how they, Saul chases him, wants to kill him. So the point is, God, as they're leaving Egypt, this is everything that prophecy is about. You can't preach prophecy without preaching the kingdom of Israel. It has no, has no meaning. If you don't believe in studying the Old Testament, 
from 1 Samuel to 2 Chronicles. That is the book of the kings. That's what they called it. The books of the kings. The Jews called it that. And if you're going to study prophecy, you've got to know what God said during this time period. He tells Moses when he's coming out of Egypt after 400 years. He says, you tell these people when they get to the land, they drive everyone out of the land that's a heathen. Because I gave this to Abraham back around 2100 B.C. He didn't say that, but, <laughs> but that was the essence of it. So he says, you tell them to drive out all the heathens. Well, they get over there in Judges, actually in Joshua, right before Judges. Joshua goes into the land, and they conquer the cities of the land, but he doesn't drive the people out like God told him to. What they did was marry them. Found all those good-looking women over there, and said, well, we'll just marry them. They did, and God tells them when they are leaving Egypt in the law. You can go over there to Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. He said, if you don't drive out the people that are before you, he said, you'll end up marrying them and serving their gods. That's one of the big problems of people like the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan used those verses where God said, don't intermarry with these people. And they try to say, well, see, you're not supposed to intermarry races. That's idiocy. That's not what he was saying. God was saying, you don't marry these people because they've got these sun and tree gods and you'll end up worshiping them. And they did. So everything about prophecy has to do with Israel disobeying God for 510 years under kings. Everything about prophecy. And 350 or so years, maybe a little more or less, over here in the Judges. They were going after all these idol gods. It amazes me in Judges, as soon as a new judge would rise up, as soon as he had died, they'd take off and go after sun and tree gods. As soon, just every time. And then they did the same thing after you get into First Kings. It's kind of peculiar to me. I've kind of looked at it, First and Second Samuel. You don't have worshiping over the gods there because all you've got is Saul chasing Samuel, uh, Saul chasing David, trying to kill him and trying to destroy him and keep him from inheriting his throne. But when you get to First Kings, that's when the idol worship starts. First and Second Kings and Chronicles. God tells Moses. I will send four judgments. You can see these named all throughout the Old Testament. Not four judges. Four judgments. I'll send the sword, the famine. The sword would be their enemies coming in to conquer them. The famine would be disease of all kind. That would be accompanied. Famine would be... No food, no water, and when you don't have any rain, you got disease that comes with that, and that's what follows after famine. You have pestilence, disease of all kinds. Now, what has to do with the end of time is the fourth judgment, the beast. 
I have said this so many times. The Bible says the beast has ten horns. A horn, a horn was a power all through the Bible, a power. The Bible says in Zechariah, the first chapter, the very end of the chapter, there were four horns that led Israel away into captivity. A horn and a heaven and a mountain, these are all synonyms for powers that rule. Four horns led Israel away in Zechariah, the first chapter, the last few verses. It says four horns, that was, the, that was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And that was the beast, same thing as the beast. The beast was a world system. You will go over to, it was a Babylonian lion, Babylonian lion, Persian bear, and the Grecian leopard. I've given you the reasons for that. The lion is most regal of all the animals of the plain, and and Babylon is most regal of all the empires. The bear is the largest carnivore, the largest armies that ever existed up to when Persia would attack the world was Persia. It was the, they would go out against a, a nation with two and a half million soldiers. That's, a, that's phenomenal by our standards. And then they would have the beast with iron teeth, and that was that was Rome. The key to the end of time is when the beast is going to rule in the world. The beast was ruling. People say, why didn't God's judgment rule in the New Testament? Who do you think was ruling in the New Testament? Rome was slaughtering at will Christians and Jews and everyone alike. Now, the key to prophecy is understanding Israel being scattered how long they're going to be scattered and when they're going to come back. When they're going to be brought back. Well, they are back now. And I have to always explain that I believe there's a remnant in literal Israel because God will not have performed the miracles of the wars that he brought about in Israel when they were overwhelmingly outnumbered they they didn't have the power to overcome their enemies, but they did. In the 1948 war, the War of Independence, May 14, 1948, when they were declared a nation in 1948, there were about, in May 14th, on May 15th, approximately 45 million Arab peoples declared war against 250,000 Jews. There's no way you could come out of that, but they did. Not only did they come out of it, they came out with more land. That's one of the miraculous wars of the Middle East. It can't happen. Unless God was involved in it, it couldn't have happened that way. And then we had the Sinai War, the Sinai War of 57, the War of 48, that was the, their revolution. And then you had the 67 War, the Six-Day War of 67, 
completely outnumbered and they shouldn't have won that. Then they had the 73 war, the Yom Kippur war. There's no way they could have won any of those if God had not have intervened. No way they couldn't have won. So when we're talking about Israel coming back, they come back to repent. Now I have watched specials on TV and on the internet about people in Israel and they're being asked questions about an interview of what do you think of Jesus and they all say well he's just some man in a religion they don't have really any understanding of it even our friend that goes over there Mike said he said they don't know anything about the Old Testament has connected with the new and he told me you've got a following over there he said they had taken 400 of my message to this rabbi over there and he was mailing them out throughout Israel I I hope and I would love to be a part of a remnant that's there. I believe this is the reason there has to be a remnant there. He did God did not save these people just to be saving them to send them to hell. I don't saying all everybody in Israel is going to be saved, but if they are saved and they do come to Christ they're going to have to come through truth, through predestination and Christmas is pagan. They already believe Christmas is pagan. They know that. They're going to have to come the true way through Jesus. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. They think over there that they worship Jehovah. But they don't believe in Jesus. Jesus said, no man can come to Jehovah but through me because I'm Jehovah. Now, what we're looking for we're looking for the end of time through the 70 weeks of Daniel. 70 weeks. We know that God scattered northern Israel in 722 B.C. He scattered southern Judah in 586 B.C. It was the Babylonians that carried Judah away. And northern Israel, they had become split because while they were a nation, one nation under Solomon, this astounds me. I, I can't even get a hold of it. Solomon was a wonderful man of God. In the third chapter of First Kings, God comes to Solomon. Solomon said, Lord, give me wisdom that I may be able to rule this, thy so great a people. He said, I'm, I'm just a child. God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you power and riches. So God makes Solomon the richest man that had ever lived on the earth. And that's in the third chapter of 1 Kings. When you get to the ninth chapter of 1 Kings, he's finishing building the temple. And what's amazing, you get to the 11th chapter just two chapters later and he's marrying all of these pagan women I, it's like I will say Solomon what are you thinking of I keep saying he's probably saying I was thinking the same thing that America thinks when they think they can serve God with all these lies that they've got in the pulpits and he married 700 wives and 300 concubines I don't know what a concubine is. That's a secondary wife that he can have babies by, so he ain't no telling how many children he had. Had a whole bunch of them. What, what really amazes me is because 
He said, I got 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, he didn't marry a bunch of ugly women. You can believe that. And when he got old, he said, I had all these women. I couldn't satisfy my sexual desires with a thousand women. And he said, when he got old, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, everything that I ever accomplished, all the gold, the silver, the men, singers, the maid dancers, the pools of water, the the orchards of all kinds and everything I wanted, all the gold I wanted. It was all vanity and vexation of the spirit. He said, all these women were vexation that I had. When you think you can fulfill your sexual desires with women, you're wrong. If you think you can fulfill the flesh, you're wrong. Don't work. When you get old, you know you can't fulfill it. And that word vexation means to grasp for the wind. He said, when I had all those women, I was grasping for the wind. I can't catch it. I'm familiar with that. I've been out there in life trying to grab success. And I felt like all the time I just grabbing for the wind. You know what that's like, don't you, Dwayne? You feel like you're reaching for the wind and there's nothing real there. So when you're studying prophecy, you've got to study what happened to Israel and caused them to be scattered? And when they were scattered, here's what it's all about. God said, you went after other gods. And he said, I'm not going to put up with that. I'll scatter you all over the earth. And when I get through dealing with you, I'm going to give you 70 times 7 to repent. And he measures it out. He measures it to an exact point. The Lord says, From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Came in, pulled all the stones down off the temple. He literally sacked the city burned the temple down there was nothing left of Jerusalem and he came in and they would plow a city up they'd take plows and plow them till everything looked like fields in the wilderness and they would go in and sort with salt so nothing would grow there Jerusalem looked like a wasteland when Nebuchadnezzar got through with it in that 36th chapter of Second Chronicles and the 25th chapter of Second Kings. You can find the total destruction of Jerusalem in those chapters. Second Chronicles 36 and Second Kings 25. You'll see Zedekiah, the last king of Israel. And God carries them off to Jerusalem and they end up over here in Babylon like one writer said, if they could find a rock to sit on, they felt lucky. Just find a place to sit. They were carried away naked when they got there. They were depressed. And the last prophet to prophesy to them, the last prophet, while they were still a nation, was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah wrote another book besides the book of Jeremiah. He wrote the Lamentations of Jeremiah. 
And if you want to read a book that's the saddest thing, Lamentations, read the book of Lamentations. It's talking about after Israel was carried away and their total despondency and depression in Babylon, they felt like we don't have any place to go. We don't have a God. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant. We have nothing. It's all gone now. Lamentations is the saddest book in the Bible. So they're over here. We're looking forward to this 70 weeks. 70 weeks is about... Leviticus, the 25th chapter. When you read Leviticus, the 25th chapter, the Bible says, God tells Israel, you have to let the land alone every seven years. We don't want you touching it. Every seven years, they had what they called a sabbatical year. And they left, they were supposed to leave the land alone for every seven years. And they went 490 years where they never kept these sabbatical years. They went 70 sets of these 70 of these weeks of years, and they never kept these Sabbath years. Those, that sabbatical year was to restore the nutrients to the ground. If you go 490 years and you plant the same fields every year, You'll literally burn the ground up. There'll be no nutrients there. I've said it so many times before. If you have... I'm not a farmer. I don't know how it works, but I know it works somehow like this. If you have all these land out there in in Kansas... You can't go in there and plant the same crop in there every year. If you do, it'll suck all the nutrients out. Well, God had a plan for that. He had his own system for taking care of the land. He said, leave it alone every seven years. And what is left will be for the poor. It will be for the needy. It'll be for your animals and any people that want to come along and forage anything that's growing of itself. They can come in. But he said it will restore its nutrients. You'll read in places where the Bible will say the land has to enjoy her Sabbaths. You can't just, I've said this so many times. Mary and I had a garden when we lived over there on Irvine. And we planted that garden every year for 10 years. (laughs) Did I ever learn a lesson? We'd go out and buy big by these tomato plants supposed to be giant tomatoes and they'd come out little cherry tomatoes you can't plant all the time I learned that just practically doing it myself so God says I'm going to you went 70 sets of those the main reason they went without doing the sabbatical years is they had to take the year off you don't get any money that year. You don't get any crops that year. You can't have your way that year. And you had 70 sets of these. And every 50th year, you had the year of Jubilee. You'd have seven sets of these sabbatical years. And then the 50th year would come. And that was the year of Jubilee. That's in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. And every year of Jubilee... 
You had to forgive every debt that anybody had. If you had bond slaves that worked in your house, a bond slave was one that indentured himself to a master because he had debt he couldn't pay, and he'd go live with that master. And in the 50th year, whether he had paid out his debt or not, you had to let him go home and cancel out all debts and say, paid in full. Well, those landowners that didn't particularly care what Moses had to say, they're saying, you must be out of your mind thinking we're going to give all our land back. I'm a landowner. I own land in the land of Reuben, in the land of Ephraim. I own some land in the land of Manasseh. They weren't supposed to own any land outside of their own land. So when you had some hustling land buyer, and he'd go buy land all over Israel, and he was, they had... They had hustlers back then just like we got today. He's got some land up here in Israel and some in Issachar and some in Ephraim and down here. And you're in the 48th or 49th year. He said, if you think I'm going to give my land away, you're out of your mind, Moses. So they, the controllers in Israel, which were a bunch of corrupt kings and a bunch of corrupt priests... They went out and found them some gods that didn't make them keep the sabbatical years. Baal, Shemash, Molech. That was their fertility gods. When God said, I'm your fertility God, in Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you, he said, if you obey me, I'll fill up your storehouses. You'll have more than enough to get through that seventh year. I'll fill up your fields. You'll have the richest crops ever. Your children will be healthy, born. They won't be stillborn. They won't be born dead. And he said, you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways. But if you don't obey me, I'll destroy everything you do. I'll send every kind of disease. I'll send plagues. I'll send... It's really funny if America doesn't believe that. They don't believe that God is in charge of everything that he can supply through that seventh year. So they made an excuse for going after other gods. And the Bible will tell us in Daniel 9.24. Daniel is really sad. He's over here in Babylon. He's been carried away to Babylon. He's one of the prophets that was in Jerusalem He was just a kid in Jerusalem when Jeremiah was walking through the streets saying, Judgment's coming, Nebuchadnezzar's on his way, and you've gone after these other gods. I've heard preachers get on the radio. Well, there was sin in Israel, and and, uh, and God will bring judgment on sin. No, 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 no. They were going after Christmas. They were going after the tree gods and the sun gods. And have you ever heard a preacher talk about Israel getting involved in their sin and it wasn't much. It was kind of a, not a big deal. And it was just something along the way. It wasn't along the way. It was a total annihilation of Israel. God had them carried away. When he brings them back, we've got to be close to the end of all things. The Bible says, Jerusalem will fall by the sword and they fell by the sword in 586 B.C., and it was Nebuchadnezzar that came in. I'll just call him Neb. He, he came in and carried away and tr- 
tread Jerusalem underfoot. And the Bible says Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot until the times of the Gentile rule over Jerusalem is fulfilled. And let me tell you, they are fulfilled today. Jerusalem is no longer trodden down by the Gentiles. And the Bible says concerning this, when you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your heads and look up for your redemption draweth nigh. I believe we are somewhere not too far away from some catastrophic events happening in the world like the Bible tells us about in the 24th chapter of Matthew. There's going to be great tribulation such as not from the beginning, no, nor ever shall be. We haven't seen the worst of things yet. I feel like we're going down, down, down. I hear every day people talking about what bad shape the world is in. People who just talk about it on the news, they talk about it on talk shows on TV and how everything is just all the murdering and all the suicides and all of the 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 people that are attacking people on the streets and the and the terrorists of all kinds. It's going to be worse. It's not going to get good. And what we're looking for is the end of all things. I look forward to the end of time. I would like for it to be right now today I don't believe it will be but you can't plant all these all the time you have to have instruction on how to plant if you're a farmer out in Kansas if you're a farmer out in Nebraska you have to have some man that knows the environmental structure the ground to come out and test the soil and tell you what kind of fertilizer you need they didn't have that back then God said here's what I'll do I'll just take those one day at a time we'll, and you'll, you'll let every seven years you'll leave the land alone do you know that's the main reason that Israel went after other gods so they wouldn't have to give up every seven years they wouldn't have mind being with Jehovah God if they could keep their every seventh year but they said, we'll go find other fertility gods when God said, I'm your fertility God because you've got to obey me and leave that seven years alone. So here's how he measured it out. Daniel nine twenty-five. From the going forth the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar had cut down and brought to the ground and that doesn't happen till Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the second chapter, that's where the commandment is given. It's given by Artaxerxes, given to Nehemiah. What's really amazing to me, I never heard anybody even teach on Ezra or Nehemiah. I never even heard anybody teach on them. Have y'all heard anybody teach on them? Without Ezra and Nehemiah, you don't even have the 70 weeks of Daniel. You can't even ask. You know, people here are so used to talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's not an unusual subject to you, is it? If you walk up to a preacher, any preacher in Nashville, and ask him if he can explain the 70 weeks of Daniel, they'll say something like, well, that's not my forte. Yeah, we know what your forte is. It's just like... God, you just want to slap a guy like that. I heard a guy on TV and uh, Paul Crouch, uh, 
dead con man. I don't know how to ask one guy, what is your take on prophecy? He was a pastor of a great big Baptist church. He said, well, that's not my forte. I just want to slap the guy when he said that. I just say, I don't know anything about it, but that's not my forte. And I just said, what is your fort? <laughs> People are just, he wanted to sound like a big shot. You can't sound like a big shot being stupid about prophecy. So, without Nehemiah and Ezra, you don't have any 70 weeks of Daniel fulfilled. Daniel gives the prophecy of the 70 weeks, but the decrees are given in Ezra and Nehemiah. First three decrees are given in Ezra. That is to go back and rebuild the temple. That was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Rebuild temple. The second was to confirm the first decree. And the third one was to send supplies back to the temple. An extra priest and extra garments for the priesthood. And then Nehemiah the second chapter. Artaxerxes. I like that name. A-R-T-A-X-E-R-X-E-S. I always wanted to... A big dog naming Artaxerxes. <laughs> Call him Arch for short. Uh, Artaxerxes gives the fourth decree. That's to rebuild the city. And that has to be connected to Daniel 9.25. Because Daniel 9.25 says, From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, which happens in this chapter right there. When Daniel was said in the presence of Artaxerxes, not Daniel, Nehemiah, I'll get it right in a minute. Get on one subject, have a hard time getting off of it. Nehemiah was sad. It was against the law to be sad in the presence of a Persian king. You could die for that. But Nehemiah, but I'll get it in a minute. Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah. He said, I see your countenance sad, Nehemiah. What can I do? He said, I heard the word from my brother who came from over. Now, you got to remember, Nehemiah is over here in Babylon. And at this point, Persia is ruling. And Artaxerxes is the Persian monarch ruling. And he said, I heard from this first chapter of Nehemiah. My brother came and I just heard that the walls of Jerusalem are burnt to the ground. Now that is astounding to me too. Because this is around 444 when he hears it. They didn't have any telegraph systems. They didn't have any newspapers. They certainly didn't have any internet. And Jerusalem had been brought down in 586 B.C. I don't know how in the world he could live that long. All the way to 444. 150 years or so and not have heard that the temple was brought to the ground. But he didn't hear it till 444. So he tells he tells Artaxerxes I'm broken hearted my city's burnt to the ground. The temple has been devastated. Can I go back and build the city? He said, and Artaxerxes said, yes, but how long are you going to be gone? Artaxerxes really loved Nehemiah. 
that astounds me because I just wonder, could Artaxerxes have been a believer? Cyrus gave the first degree for Israel to go back. Cyrus was called the anointed of the Lord in the 44th chapter and 45th chapter of Isaiah. Cyrus is the one that overthrew Babylon in 539 B.C. Cyrus overthrows Babylon, who rules from around 612 all the way to 539. And Babylon is overthrown by Cyrus. And people want to know, why is Cyrus called the anointed of the Lord? Because Cyrus... God moved upon Cyrus's heart to give a decree to go back and build the temple. It's like, he's a pagan king. How did he get that idea in his head? To go back and rebuild the temple. It was by the Spirit of the Lord that got into his mind and told him to do it. So he sends the decree to go back and build the temple. And then you have a second decree in 520. They stopped building the temple in 536. They gave the first decree. He gives the first decree in 538 B.C. The next year after he conquers Babylon, then in 536 B.C., they quit building. They build for two years and they stop. Why did they stop? A man named Tatanai started telling them, I'm going to tell the king on you. You're over, he's over here and you're a rebellious people. And he was the governor over here of Israel. He was a Persian governor. He was the enemy of Israel. And Tatanai said, I'm going to tell on you. You're building this temple and you're rebellious people. I'll tell my king. Now, he's about 650 miles away, the king is. And so the people got afraid of Tatanai. They quit building for two years. Excuse me, for 16 years. They built for two years, and they quit for 16 years. And then in 520, another king has risen up in... in, uh, Babylon, his name is Darius. Now he comes up in 522 B.C. And then in 520, these people get guts enough to go to Artaxerxes and say, we quit building. What do we do? Can we keep building? And Darius said, let me search and see if I can find the original decree where that Cyrus made this decree. Because you're going to find out in the 6th chapter of Daniel that the decrees of the Greeks and of the Medes and the Persian altereth not. It means they can't be changed. Once the decree was made by a Persian king, it was permanent in the empire. Couldn't be changed. Well, that decree that Cyrus had made in 538 could not be changed. The only thing that Darius could do in 520 
was to confirm the first decree. That's all he could do. Once the decree is made, it's made for the endurance of the empire. It can't be altered. So they... Darius makes a decree. He looks at Tatnai, who comes to his court. He says, Tatnai, now we found this decree, the original decree of Cyrus. This is in 520. We found this decree of Cyrus that he did, and he's been dead for some years. But this can't be changed. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Mr. Tatnai. You will support this, and you will pay for this building of this temple out of government funds. Do you understand me? And if you don't do this, Tatnai, we're going we're gonna to crucify you on a tree, except they didn't nail him to a cross. They ran a tree up their rectum and out their mouth. He said, will you like that? And I'm going to do it from wood taken from your house. And Tatnai starts going, whoa. Yes, sir, I'm ready to, <laughs> I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. Now, that was the second decree. Then in 457, 457, Artaxerxes was the king then. And he gives a decree to send supplies for the temple that has been rebuilt. And then this fourth decree is given by Artaxerxes. And this is the beginning of the 70 weeks of Daniel and Nehemiah 2. Let's go over and look at that. This has to do with the end of time. When this is up, let me read. Let me read uh, Daniel 9. 25 then go back over to Nehemiah and you know how much argument there is about when the first decree was given the Bible plainly states that I'm going to give you why here in a minute look here in Daniel 9 25 Daniel is weeping all through this chapter he's crying Lord how long is Israel going to be in captivity and Gabriel, the angel, comes to him about the time of the evening oblation. What do you mean evening oblation? They had an oblation and an offering every evening around 6 o'clock or sundown. And they had everyone every morning, every about 6 o'clock or sun up. And the oblation, what was offered with the lamb on the altar was a bread offering. And the bread offering was the oblation. That means a bread offering. Now, about the time of the evening oblation, Gabriel appears to Daniel. And he says, Daniel, you've been praying this whole chapter here. He didn't say that, but this whole prayer you're praying, you want to know how long you're going to be in a captivity. I'm going to tell you how long before I bring Israel out and before I come back and possess my people. And he says here in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined. You can see Gabriel coming to him in the previous verses. He says that he came and touched me at the time of this evening oblation and tells me 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to do six things. First of all, to finish Israel's transgression of going after all these tree and sun gods. That was that same system was brought in the church and renamed Christ's Mass. 
to finish the transgression of Israel that they did all the time they were a nation for 510 years. To make an end of their sins. That's not going to be to the end of time. To make reconciliation for iniquity. I love that word reconciliation. It's the word kafar. It's the same word as atonement. If atonement has to be made for all the sins of God's people for all time, it's going to be when the last one comes into the fold there in Revelation 10 and 7. When the seventh trumpet sounds, the mystery of God is finished. The mystery, Masturian, means the unrevealed things. It's a mystery because it's the church. Because God only reveals himself to whomsoever he will. And that's only a few people. So as far as the world is concerned, Christ coming back and revealing himself is a mystery. The fact that he reveals himself to only a few of us, only a few are going to be saved. Fear not, little flock, it's the Father good's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The fact that he's going to reveal himself to us, it's a mystery to the world. That's why the word mystery is the total opposite of the word revelation. Revelation is a form of the word revealed. Reveal is apo. Calypto. Revelation is the word apocalypsis or apocalypse. It's apocalypse. An apocalypse is not some hazy and fuzzy. People, come, they've changed the definition of an apocalypse. They make movies, an apocalypse, and it's hazy, and it's got Marlon Brando in the background. It's real stupid. It's dumb. It comes from apocalypto. Remove the cover. Tell the truth. It has the basic same word meaning as truth. A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. Alethea is the word truth. It comes from lanthano. Lanthano and the alpha privity. First letter of the Greek alphabet. Negates the word. Gives an opposite meaning. It means don't hide anything. Glanthana means tide. Apocalypse means take the cover off. Mystery means keep it a mystery. And it's only revealed to whomsoever he will there in Luke the 10th chapter. He reveals himself. It's a mystery to most of the world. That's why the church is the mystery of God that's finished at the end of time. Or it's complete finished teleos. This is in D-L-E-I-O-S. means complete. The church is complete or the mystery is complete when at the sounding of the seventh trumpet when time is no more and we're going to be changed at the last trumpet. That'll be at the end of time or the end of all things. That's what we're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I don't see how the world can last much longer. It may, but if it does, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. The people that I really have a compassion for, these kids, how they're going to survive in the insanity of the world to come. Your kids, my grandkids back there. It's sad. But it is what God wants. The best thing you can do is teach kids truth at home. Constantly. Now.
So what we're looking for, it's everything that Israel was involved in when they were a nation. There is no prophecy without that. I've, I'm looking for something and any time. I feel an ominous cloud over society. Ominous means something that's very cloudy and it's hard to see. I feel there's a cloud over society. This is not the same world I was raised in in the 40s when I was a little boy. It's not the same world. This is an insane time. You can ask nearly anybody. You can ask a a waitress in a restaurant, do you realize the world's crazy? I've said that to them several times. They say, yeah, it's crazy. Just ask them that. Just a kid. Nobody would have said that in 1955 when I was 16. I never heard anybody say, the world's crazy. It's really crazy. The preachers are lying about everything they're saying. They're lying about how to be saved. You can't save yourself. You have to be saved by God. They're lying about Christmas, about Easter. It's all paganism. Jesus was God in the flesh and he died to save sinners. But the Christ Mass is Roman Catholicism and has nothing to do with Jesus. It's eating human flesh. And that's not true. That's a fairy tale. Now, where was I? What we're looking for. We're looking for the end of those 70 weeks. I've got so much information on this. I have studied this. A guy asked me one time, do you know anything about the 70 weeks of Daniel? I said, I know a little bit. I can stand and talk about it for a month. But you've got to teach the Old Testament to understand it and study it. Now, Nehemiah, second chapter. This is the beginning of the 70 weeks. The Bible says so. Let me just show you that. There's arguments between every so-called biblical scholar, and I use that term loosely, about when the 70 weeks of Daniel began. It'll tell you right here in Daniel 9, 25, but let's read 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. It actually says 77s. It's not weeks, it's sevens. Are determined upon thy people to finish the transgression that Israel went after, going after all this tree and sun and God worship. Did you know there's only... How can I say this? There's only one pagan worship in the world, just one. It's the same all through the Bible. It's the same if you go to a volcano island in the South Pacific in Malaysia or Borneo and and where they have all those headhunters and what have you. It's the same. The Bible says Babylon... mothered all harlots or all idolatry. Well, if Babylon mothered it all, then if you have a South Sea Island down here, there's a volcano and it spews out ash 
and all these natives down here on this island, they're all trying to appease the fire god. Isn't that what Israel was involved in? The fire worship? And they're trying to appease that, and they take a virgin up there and throw her into the fire to feed the volcano god. Volcano. Volcano comes to the word Vulcan. This is what Mr. Hislop tells us. Comes to the word Vulcan. It's spelled basically like it. Vulcan was the god, was the god who wanted to devour his children as soon as they were born. And you find the dragon wanting to devour in the 12th chapter of Revelation wanting to devour the son of this woman who's going to have a rod of iron and rule the world as soon as he's born. That's Jesus. And then he tells us that Vulcan comes from Baal Kahan. Kahan is the Hebrew word priest of Baal. And the priests of Baal ate human flesh from their altars. That's a cannibal, isn't it? And they shortened this Balkan to Kana, C-A-H-A-N-A, B-A-L, or later on C-A-N-N-I-B-A-L. And that is a devourer of human flesh. Let me just give you a real quick illustration. I'm going to sidetrack for a minute. Human flesh. And look over here in Revelation. I'll come back to this. Look in Revelation. All of this connects together. Look at Revelation 12. Revelation 12. All right. And you'll see Vulcan in this. Vulcan was, or Baal Kahan, was just an imitation of Christ, is what it was. Watch this. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. This is not Mary. This is Israel. Israel was called a virgin. And the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Twelve is the number of the total church and she being with child cried travailing in birth in pain to be delivered and there appeared another wonder in heaven behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns well if you look down there in chapter 13 I stood on the sand of the sea boy this gets complicated doesn't it I stood on the sand of the sea I'm looking for that picture. Listen. I stood on the sand of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. The dragon, Dracon, is the same thing as the beast. How do you know that? Look at the first verse of the 13th chapter. 
And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. The beast, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, had its boundaries on the Mediterranean Sea. This is the land of the Bible right here. Nowhere else. There was an America. It doesn't even talk about going up here into, into Scandinavia. This was the Bible lands right there. You had, you had Persia over here. You had Babylon in here in, in Iraq area. You had Greece over here. Rome, Greece, Rome, Israel. You had all these the seven churches of Asia in here. You had Galatia in here. That's the Bible lands right there. That's why that's important. When you look at, if some of you can see that map over there, right in the center of the map, it's just a little spot of the Mediterranean Sea. Jim. What? It's on the map. Well, it, I was trying to compare it to what the world looks like. There's a world map on there. Is there a world map? Okay, where is it? Um, <laughs> Just beep it till I get to it, huh? Okay. I, I want you to see the comparison... All right. Okay. Here's all the world. And this is the Bible lands right there. A beast comes out of the sea right there. I don't know why people don't see it comes out of the sea. And it's a bottomless pit because bottomless pit of Abusos comes to the word Bathos, meaning some great knowledge placing the Alpha in front of Bathos negates. The word means no knowledge. No one... On the Mediterranean Sea, none of the beast systems, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, had any knowledge of God until Acts, the second chapter. Only Israel had knowledge. I, why can I see that and these guys can't figure this out? It seems like falling off a log. It's not if you don't define anything. You're going to say, well, there's a bottomless pit, it's a big hole in the ground, it goes all the way down to China, then it goes through there and goes out in space. That's the way these preachers are. Now, look what he says. And the beast rises up out of the sea, and it has seven heads and ten horns. So when you got the beast with seven heads and ten horns, up there in Revelation 12 and 3, the dragon and the beast are the same. They're not different. It's different ways of expressing the world beast system. Let's get back up here to 12. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. Now I go unto the seven heads. A head was the capital city of an empire. Had seven capital cities. And at this time, five were fallen. One is and the other is not yet come. So there had been five heads up to this point of this writing of, of Revelation in 96 AD. Five heads. And five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. So the five that were fallen had to be wherever the world beast system ruled from. We know that, gosh, I don't need to get into this. It takes more time. I'll just say it quickly, whether you get it or not. <laughs> okay. You had what was ruling at that time, five are fallen. So when Greece was ruling, Alexander the Great liked the Babylonian, the city of Babylon. 
So he had the head of the beast there in Babylon. When the Persian rulers were ruling, they liked their head being there in Babylon, the Euphrates River, so they kept the head there. When Babylon was ruling, of course, they liked the city of Babylon. They kept the head there. But when Rome began to rule, the head was in Rome, or the head of the beast. A head being a capital city. I don't make that up. You can take your McClinican strong up, look up head, look up head, or look up mount. They'll tell you that is a ruling power or city of an empire. And it'll tell you in the same article when you look up mount, it'll tell you the same thing as a head and the same thing as a, a mountain a head or a heaven. And I keep telling you to pick up your McClinic and Strong. These are like a treasure. You know that? This is a treasure when I got the McClinic and Strong. Let me just do this. People think I make up what I read or something. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what they think. I have people come up to me and say, Jim, look here, I read in Alfred Edersheim's and it says just exactly what you said. And I said, where do you think I got it? <laughs> I didn't make it up. But if you go to go to heaven H-E-A when there's new heavens and new earth, that's the church. I've never heard a man even say that. And if they do some research, they'd find out. You open up the H volume and you look at heaven. <coughs> I read a lot, but I don't retain everything I read. I just retain a lot of what I read. And when it all starts making sense, A-V, heaven. This amazes me how it starts. It's not talking about where God is or where Jesus is. It says... The invisible, the visible, and the political among men. Political. That's heaven. It's a ruling class. Which may be either civil or ecclesiastical. We shall consider these in inverse order. Terrestrial and figuratively regarded, wherever the scene of a prophetic vision is laid, heaven signifies symbolically the ruling power or government. You think I made that up? And it goes on all through here and talks about government ruling system when you say heaven. New heavens means new ruling class. Don't mean there's going to be this great big cube come down out of heaven and settle where Jerusalem is. It just Only dumb people like Hal Lindsey will say that. <clears throat> he doesn't study nothing. He's supposed to be Mr. Prophecy Teacher. I just seem to have a... Have Aaron teach me his Hal Lindsey. He's how old? Four? <laughs> Gosh. World's crazy, aren't it? Now, I was going to show you how this matches up with Baal Kahan, Vulcan, who devoured his children in mythology before they were born. Watch how they pollute the Word of God. 
<clears throat> back to Revelation 12. I look at the Bible analytical like it's a great big algebra equation. That this equals this, this equals this. <clears throat> now, back to, <clears throat> back to Revelation 12. All right, I'm going to finish reading this and get back over to Nehemiah. Notice how all of this ties together. It's not separate theology. It's all one. It's a huge picture. 12. The red dragon and his tail do a third of the part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. This is where Michael throws Satan out of heaven and casts him into the earth. Revelation is a panoramic view of history in the Bible. Pan, panoramic. When you used to see old movies come on and they'd say, in panorama, panorama. Pan was the God of all. He was said to be the God of the roads, the God of the fields, the God of the trees. So when you pan something with a camera, you sweep and cover it all. Being a panoramic view, Revelation 12 is a panoramic view of all time. If you want to know where Satan is cast in the earth, go to Revelation 12, and you'll see what happens right after Genesis 1-1. When the earth becomes without form and void, it's because of what God did in this chapter. And God did it all. And he drew a third of the stars of heaven and did cast him into the earth. And the dragon, Dracon, D-R-A-K-O-N. Not a fire-breathing dragon, St. George and the dragon out of English mythology. And, and it means to speak smooth. It means to fascinate. So this dragon fascinates and says good words and fair speeches and was which was ready to be delivered for to devour his child as soon as the, this child of the woman was born. This is Christ being born on the earth and Satan is going out to devour him. But he can't get him. Now, so that's where Baal Kahan and the priests of Baal ate human flesh from their altars human flesh, and they were cannibals. Now, cannibal has to do with Catholicism, doesn't it? When they said they have to eat the body of Christ to go to heaven, Jesus didn't mean eat my literal body when he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I've never heard anybody even say that eat flesh and drink blood was an old ancient idiom. You find it throughout the scripture. You find it in the 39th chapter where God says at the end of time, when I destroy all these nations, I'm going to call the fowls of the air to come and tell them, I prepared the, prepared the great supper for you. Come and eat flesh and drink blood. And then over there in the 24th chapter of Matthew, the Bible is talking about the day Jesus comes back. The Bible says, where the men are slain by the millions there will the eagles be gathered together and that'll be at the time element will be as the lightning shines from the east to the west so shall also the coming of the son of man be 
And then you get over to Revelation, the 19th chapter. God says he's going to cast all of these kings of the earth into hell and the lake of fire. And he's going to kill all these people upon the earth, these enemies of God. The Bible says that Babylon is going to attack Jesus. In a sense, it says attack the Lord. How do you attack a man? You attack his wife. The church is going to go under attack. We will go under attack. If I live long enough, I'm not going to be permitted to say some of the things I'm saying. I know that will happen. I know enough about the scriptures to know I won't be allowed to say these things. I expect some men to bust in a door one day and say, Mr. Brown, we got a cease and desist order for you. You have to stop. We're taking your off of your TV and everything else because you can't say these things about these wonderful men of God out here. And they're not my wonderful men of God. They're lying thieves. Do you know I try to say things hard enough to have people come and get me, and I can't seem to stir them up? I used to be afraid when I first started this ministry. I did a message, I'll never forget it, back when we first started. I'd been studying about the about these priests of Bell wore tall white pointed hats and white sheets and worshipped a flaming cross on Lady Day in the ancient world. And I did a... I did a message called Elijah and the KKK and I played it on the radio and it scared me real bad when I played it on the radio. I was afraid somebody was going to come out and burn a cross in my yard or something. Just, I sat there and huffed and puffed real deep and went, hope they don't come get me. They don't even care. You know what I found out? People don't care if there is a truth. It's not... They believe a lie instead of a truth. They don't even care if there is one. You can tell them, I can say all kinds of things, call these guys liars and thieves and low down people and tell them they're vessels of wrath and going to hell. And the only people that write are some wacko kid that don't know anything about the Bible. Mr. Brown, you're putting down one of the great soul winners of all time, Billy Graham. The guy was a liar. And I can prove that he's a liar according to the Bible. All right. Now, let's go back over here to Nehemiah, the second chapter. You know, I don't even know where to start on all this. There's no, there's, the only starting place is start at the beginning of the Bible. All the promises God made Israel, if you're obedient to me. If you're not, I'm going to scatter you. And then the 70 weeks of Daniel has to do with everything that they did or didn't do when they were a nation. They went after these fire and tree gods, which is the same thing as Christmas. If God would measure out 70 weeks to utterly destroy Israel because they went after these fire and tree gods, and Constantine brings it into the church and calls the Feast of Saturn Christmas, do you think God wants us to do that? That don't make any sense to me, John MacArthur. I just get frustrated I just want to bang my head on the wall when I hear some of these preachers say what they say yes we know that Christmas was pagan originally however we're going to use it to glorify God that's what God wants is an old ancient orgy to glorify him fools 
It just makes me want to scream. Preachers, I get angry at. I don't get angry at anybody else, but preachers that lie from the pulpit, and that's most of them I hear. Now, let's go to Nehemiah. Here's the beginning of the 70 weeks of Daniel. How much time do I have, Mike? 14. I, I didn't even get started where I was going. I was going to give you... I was going to give you the end of time in Revelation 6 and Revelation 8 and Revelation 10, Revelation 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, and 20. All of those are the end of time. Revelation is not sequential events. It's not one sequence after another. It is John, the revelator, standing in one place. An angel takes him up into heaven and gives him a vision. Another place, the angel takes him up, and he gets another vision, the same thing, a different view of it. You got the end of time in all those chapters, which I'll go into, and I'll show you that next week. I'll try to. I keep saying next week I'm going to do this and that, and I never get to it. You never killed off Saul today. I hadn't killed. I was going to kill off Saul this morning, and we didn't get to it. Uh, I have loved... The history of Israel. Let me tell you a funny thing. I hated history in high school. It was boring. But I had a, have a book in my library that said the reason people hate history is because they bowderlize history. Bowderlize. B-O-W-D-E-R-L-I-Z-E. They make it boring. They take out all the affairs with the women. They take out all of the murder and all of the sin and everything. And this army went down and had this battle in May of 73 and and shot and killed these people. And then they went over this hill and went. That's boring. Tell me about what they were like. If you'll read Richard Shingman, he'll tell you all about it. Richard Shingman said the only things that the men in the Revolutionary War thought of and talked about was sex and food. That's it. Wasn't any different than these soldiers today. It's We've been lied to about our history, about everything. <coughs> and every history teacher knows that. Now let's go over here to Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, it's almost proverb. All right. Nehemiah, second chapter. What does the Bible say in Daniel 9.25? From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. That sounds so difficult and it's not. Going forth the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Why did it have to be restored? Because it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. God comes upon these Persian kings, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, (coughs) deals with their heart to give commandments to go back and reveal the temple. You know how much that has to do with us? We have to rebuild this temple. We're the temple of God, and it has been destroyed by sin. And charity edifies, builds up oikodomaic. It builds up the temple of God. Charity is, charity is agape. 
means walking in the commandments of God. Second John 6. So that temple had to be rebuilt. This temple has to be rebuilt because of sin. And we build it by walking in the commandments of God. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah. I love these books. I love this book. I hate when people take the Bible and just devastate it. Now, here in the second chapter, do I have any time, Mike? Can't get through it. I came to pass in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king that wine was before him. And Nehemiah was his cupbearer. Sometimes the cupbearer would be called a butler. Not a butler that answered the door when the bell, doorbell rung. It was one who tested and tasted the drink given to the king. And took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Artaxerxes looks at Nehemiah and says, Why are you so sad, Nehemiah? Seeing thou art not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very afraid. The reason he was afraid it was against the law to be sad in the presence of a Persian king. You could die for it. But the difference was Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste? He had heard from his brethren there in the second verse of chapter 1, Hanani, one of my brethren, came and he and certain men of Judah and asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left to the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And he told me how the walls were broken down and it was burnt to the ground. So Nehemiah is very sad. Then the king said unto me, Artaxerxes says to Nehemiah, What can I do for you, Nehemiah, to help you? And what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, to Artaxerxes, who's the king at this time, If it please the king, if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may rebuild the city that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed some 150 years ago. This is, I want to remind you, the laws of the decrees in Persians alter not. If King Artaxerxes gives a decree, it'll be worthless if there's already been a decree given. He would not give a decree that he knew was on the books of the Persians. This is why when people want to fight over whether the decree was in that Seventh was in that at third decree in the seventh chapter of Ezra, or the second decree in the sixth chapter of Ezra, or the first decree in the first chapter of Ezra. When they want to argue about whether it was that, Nehemiah Artaxerxes wouldn't have given him letters to rebuild the city. He'd have said, "We'll have to hunt for the decree that's already been made for the city." That eliminates this thing about the city. The decree to rebuild the city was one of the first three decrees. It was not. It was right here. Nehemiah asked him for that. <clears throat> and any time a Persian king 
would sign any decree. It was law forever. As long as the Persian Empire stood. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? How long are you going to be gone, Nehemiah? I love you, brother. I don't want you to go away. And when will thou return? Artaxerxes is anxious for Nehemiah to come back. He was gone 12 years to rebuild the city. 12 years. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me, and you sign it, and your word is law. It didn't have to be notarized. All the king had to do was sign it, and it was law. Letters to the government beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. This is the going forth the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. From this, 44, 44 B.C., until Jesus comes in Jerusalem, Jesus in Jerusalem will be seven weeks, Daniel 9.25, three score, and two weeks. I'm amazed when I stand up here and teach this to you. There's nobody in America teaching this anywhere. I've studied this since 1964. That's when I started studying prophecy in the 70 weeks. You ask a preacher, just call him on the phone and say, can you explain to me the 70 weeks of Daniel? Well, I don't know anything about that now because they don't know nothing about the Old Testament. From the going forth of commandment, Nehemiah, second chapter, Artaxerxes, Arts, get him the letter. Will be seven weeks, three score, and two weeks unto Messiah the Prince. The score is 20, three score is 67, plus two is 69 of the 70 weeks of Daniel will finish up when Jesus comes in Jerusalem and then you'll have a time of the Gentiles at the end of time you'll have the 70th week and we're headed towards that right now 69 weeks are 483 years and we're looking for 490 years or 7 weeks 7 years to be fulfilled at the end of time and it will be split up into two sections, 1,260 days. 1,260 days <coughs> is exactly one half of seven years <coughs> on a 360-day Jewish calendar. Or it'll be 1,260 days or 42 months. That's half of seven years or a time times one year times two years and half a times a half a year. So anytime you see 42 months, 1260 days, you see a time times and dividing of times, you're talking about the last part, the very end of the 70th week of Daniel. That's what we're aiming for. 
And when the 70 weeks are finished, the last trumpet will sound and we'll go out to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I look forward to that. I'm tired of this old body. Let's go back over here to Nehemiah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper, this is verse 8, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city, for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, the king granted me. Artaxerxes says, okay, it's law. You get it, Nehemiah. King wouldn't have granted anything if there'd already been a decree, one of them three decrees. He would not have granted nothing. He'd have said, it's already law. All we got to do is go find it, just like Darius went and found the original decree in the summer house of Cyrus. And Cyrus had been dead for years. Darius knew he couldn't give a new decree. And so did Artaxerxes. It hadn't been done. Then I came to the governor beyond the river and gave them the king's letters, the king's letters. It was law. The city has to be rebuilt. There's more to this than meets the eye. Because from the going forth of this commandment until Christ comes to Jerusalem, looks out over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, if thou hast known in this thy day the things that belong to thy peace, now you're blind. The 69 weeks is up. Do you know that Israel knew that? Because a lot of them would come to Jesus and say, are you going to restore the kingdom? They knew the 70 weeks, the 69 weeks was up. And all they had to look forward to was the 70th week, but you have the times of the Gentile, spiritual Israel, the new heavens. We rule with the scepter of righteousness. This is a basic picture of all that this is about. I can't give you everything. It has to do with Christmas. It has to do with the 70 weeks. It has to do with the tongues because when they were scattered all over the earth, they're all speaking different gloss and dialects, aren't they? For over 500 years they were. I'm out of time. I love talking about this. It's a part of me inside. I look around and listen to these preachers and I'm telling this is disgusting. They don't love God. If they did, they wouldn't say the things they're saying. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, the lady at the mattress company, she said, they're just saying all this trivial stuff. Just mush, nothing that mounts to anything. <coughs> People don't know their specific definition to everything in this book. Everything has an exact meaning. And I listen to preachers and doctors of theology and I think, Lord, just kill us all right now. I'm really tired. It's kind of like being the only algebra teacher in the whole state and you got all these people trying to teach algebra around town and they don't know nothing about nothing. You can't teach something if you don't know anything about it. I'll come back next week. We'll talk more about prophecy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, give me strength to continue. I'm really tired. 
I, I don't know what else to do except this. Where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, Lord. Give me strength. Give the church strength. Show us where to go and what to do and fight our battles because we can't. I can't fight them anymore. I'm tired. Thank you for your word. And we'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Boy, I took off away from my plan. Well, we got a... Yeah, I did, but I didn't make out the check okay. yet. I'll make it up. If you didn't, I just... Did you get the list? Yeah. Okay. I just printed it out. No, I got it. Okay. I got it. I got it on my table at home. Well, then I'll, I'll just see you tomorrow. You'll okay. probably come over tomorrow. Yeah, I will. Okay. I got to go get my tooth put in tomorrow at 1, and I'll run by there. This tooth? Uh-huh. That one right there. The one that I go without, I got that plate in right now. Alfred E. Newman look. <laughs> yeah. I got to get rid of my Alfred E. Newman look. Love you, Dave. I don't know what else to say. You could, you could say more. Just I probably sure. could. Just keep saying it. Thank you, teacher. Do y'all realize how disgusted I get? Preachers? They don't know nothing. Ignorant. I listen to them on radio and they try to sound profound. Let's listen to R.C. Sproul coming over here. He was double talking. Just like... What are you talking about, man? Just generalities. Yeah, it's all very... Generalities, and he's supposed to be one of their smart ones. He just wants to sound profound and round. Round and profound. (laughs) That's what I call him. I think John MacArthur's the only smart one. And he's wandering away from... He compromises one away from it. He's the only one that's been a disappointment to me. I've, John has just disappointed me to no end. I want to tell him that. Just said, John, I'm so disappointed. I will sit down and cry. What you've done. But he's so smooth. And he looks so good, you know. He sells so many books. Huh? And he sells so many Sell books. lots of books that have a lot of trash in them. <laughs> 